So glad you're with us this morning and longing for you to be back in the building. I am at the place now where I am just longing for the day when the doors are open again and, and this is the last shutdown and we will continue on as a church and move ahead and grow. Uh, we miss you. I'm sure you miss being here as well, but we're longing for the day when it all opens up again and we will get back to normal. Uh, we will sing and lift the rafters, so to speak, uh, on that day. Uh, Luke chapter 11 this morning, Luke chapter 11, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, and let me read it through for you, uh, and then I'm going <clears> to <throat> talk about it some, uh, but Luke chapter 11, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, wouldn't you be so blessed to sit in a meeting with Jesus and have him teach you to pray. Wouldn't that be such a blessed thing to be able to do? Well, <clears throat> that's exactly what we have in the Lord's Prayer. But I think as we look at it, we find that it's very much different than what you and I would expect. And I want to draw your attention to some of the differences uh, this morning. But as we go through it, uh, and he said unto them, when you pray, Say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And we, we talked about this the week before last. Last week was Easter, and we had a glorious uh, Easter service. Uh, but uh, we talked about it the week before that we, we looked at it, that we're praying to our Father. I saw a pastor doing an illustration, and he had his little daughter come up uh, and stand beside him so that he could picture the father-child relationship for the congregation. And puts a whole different perspective on it. You're, you're, you're coming to dad. You're asking dad. Uh, you're, you're coming into that sweet relationship uh, with your father. And uh, it's a beautiful thing for us to do. And... Um, <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, and heaven is his home, and heaven is our home, and we're going to spend eternity uh, in heaven with him. You're not home yet. Don't expect it to all be fine and work out in this uh, earth. You're not home yet. When you get home, everything will be fine. Everything will be perfect then. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And, and we, we, we talked about the idea of being in submission to his will, of being in the place where we were perfectly at ease with his will. And it's interesting, you know, that as the Lord Jesus taught these men to pray, uh, he taught them to give God his rightful place. Uh, he taught them that God was holy. And then he said, and, and we want your will to be done. And that's crucial to this whole area of prayer. 1 John 5, 13 and 14 say this, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe uh, on the name of the Son of God. Glorious, wonderful verse that gives us our security. I am not saved because I'm a good person. I am saved because there was a point in time where I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saved me, and it's a, uh, I am eternally secure because of what he did. But immediately after that, in verse 14, he says this, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. God has given you and I this glorious thing called a free will. We're not just animals that go around by instinct. We're, we're different. We, we have the ability to will to do. 
And he gives you this glorious free will. And then he says, now, <clears throat> I, want to, I want you to have the opportunity to bring that free will of yours in line with my will. And when you bring your will in line with his will, <clears throat> when you're willing to do what he wants you to do, not what you want to do, when you're willing to follow him, then what happens is you come into the place where you're centered in his universe because that's what he intended. He intended for you to be able to freely choose to bring your will in line with his will. And when your will is in line with his will, you can ask what you will, and you're going to receive it. The thing about it is, your will is different then. You're actually in a different place because your will uh, is in line with his will. But we do need to understand that, that if we're going to enjoy the rich prayer life that we want, we're going to have to put ourselves in that place where we're in submission to his will, where we're bowed before him, and often we, we bow. Sometimes we kneel. Sometimes people lay prostrate when they pray. And the idea is, I'm in submission to your will, whatever you want of me. And when we're in that place, we're in the place for prayer. Um, <clears throat> the mental emotional picture is bowed in submission, accepting God's plan and purposes, reminding the one who prays of a program greater than any human agenda. Uh, and we need to catch that, that God has a plan. It's a good plan. It's a perfect plan. He's not waiting for you to present the plan. He's got the plan. He's waiting for you to present yourself, to yield to him, uh, to be a part of his plan. And while the Lord cares about our concerns, we will find greater comfort and fulfillment adopting his. That when you and I say, okay, I, I, I've got these concerns. Lord, you know about my concerns, but Lord, I want your will. I want to do your will. Then we find ourselves in the place where God can do something through us. Is that what you really want? His will. Is that what you're really seeking? Uh, you will save yourself a lot of pain in life if what you're truly looking for is his will. If you are surrendered, submitted, yielded to his will, it's a perfect will. Uh, he covers all of it in that will. <clears throat> and you will find yourself in that place where God can work through you and do amazing things because you've brought yourself in line with his will. All right, now, we're, we're, the last part of the prayer uh, is strange to me, and I'll tell you why it's strange in a second, right? Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And let's pray first, and then we'll look at this these two verses, verses uh, three and four. Father, would you bless us? Lord, we need you uh, to teach us to pray. Oh, Lord, we've got burdens and we've got worries and we've got concerns and we've got needs. And Lord, we can get all caught up in them. But Lord, you've laid out a very simple plan for us as far as prayer is concerned. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it your way and to bring our hearts and our minds, and all our strength into line with your will. And, oh, Lord, may we be a people uh, that live lives that are effective and that are purposeful because we've yielded to you and let you have your way in our lives. And, Lord, we'll thank and praise you for all the glory belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, 
Here's why this, uh, th th this prayer, uh, and this is the asking part of the Lord's Prayer, which is really what we're all about, aren't we? We're all about, when it comes to prayer, we're all about asking. I mean, <clears throat> uh, I remember reading a book, and prayer is asking, and I, and, and I do believe that's true, uh, that prayer is asking, and we're all about this. But what's interesting to me is the things that when Jesus was asked to teach them to pray, the things that he brought up as far as prayer uh, were concerned. Now, let me help you uh, by giving you just some of the things off the top of my head that, <clears throat> that um, he didn't ask for, right? Nowhere in the Lord's Prayer does he say, Lord, make me rich. You and I might like to have a lot of money. And that might easily become part of our prayer life. Lord, bless my business and make things work out and, and, and bring a lot of money in, Lord, so that I'm, I'm not in need and I, because we're Christians so I can help other people and so on. But that's not part of the prayer. He doesn't include that in the prayer at all. Um, <clears throat> nor does he say, give me a great husband or give me a great wife uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Nor does he say, change my husband or change my wife. Nor does he say, heal Aunt Mary. Nor does he say, feed the world. He doesn't say any of those things. Any of the things that so normally come up, and you, you can add to it a whole list of things uh, of your own that normally, normally you ask for. He, he doesn't ask for any of those things. There are three very straightforward requests that Jesus asks for when he's asked, when he's asked to teach these men to pray. First one is daily provision. Lord, give me what I need for today. The second one is, forgive me, Lord. And the third one is, and oh, deliver me from evil and from the enemy. Those, those are the three things he prays for. Now, folks, I think that we should be informed in our prayer lives by what Jesus has to say about prayer. I think that we should take it on board. Now, there are other things. He does tell us uh, to, to pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth the laborers into his harvest. There are other things that he tells us to pray for. And there's nothing wrong uh, with you praying for healing. There's nothing wrong with you praying for a spouse. There's nothing wrong with you uh, praying for God to change them. There's nothing wrong with that. But when Jesus was asked to teach these people to pray, those are not the things that he asked, that he taught us to ask for. He taught us to ask for three simple things. The first thing is, Provision. All right? He taught us to ask for uh, provision, for daily bread. Um, the verse says, And give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So give us day by day our daily bread. Somebody might say, well, I thought that was already covered. Uh, right? Isn't it Matthew 6, 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you? Doesn't the Bible say uh, that your father knoweth that you have need of these things? So why are we supposed to pray about them? Why are we supposed to uh, bring those things before him? Uh, well, the reality is that prayer is not as much about you getting God to act as it is about you bringing your, your, your will in line with his. It's not, about, not so much about you getting from God as it is about you coming into the place where you're in his will. There is no lack with God. And there is no need with God. You're never going to starve or go hungry. So why does he ask you to pray about it? Because he wants you to recognize a fundamental truth of life. Dad, I need you today. If you don't feed me, I'll go hungry. He wants you to recognize a fundamental truth that, that, that puts you in that place where you understand your need of him every day. We live in a good day. 
I know it's COVID-19 and, and there are problems, but we live in a good day. We, li we live in a good day. I, I doubt that many of you have really had to pray, Lord, I need food today. I haven't got nothing for the lunch, and if you don't do something, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. I, I doubt that any of you are in that place or have been in that place, right? But the, the, the thought here is that, he's, that we're asking him for the immediate need. You know, we see grace before we eat normally. Uh, as believers. And I, I think it's very important. But do you know the heart of grace? The heart of grace is, it's, it's not just a rote thing that you do to, you know, like you, like, like you throw salt over your shoulder so you don't get in trouble. The heart of saying grace is recognizing it's him that feeds me. It's, it's his world. It's his air I'm breathing. It's his food. It's his life that's in me. The heart of it is knowing that you need him. You see, God is honored by our dependence upon him. And when we understand that, we can ask him for a whole lot of other things. He's perfectly within his rights to give them to us or not to give them to us. But we can ask him for all kinds of things. But he wants us to recognize, Lord, I'm in need of you today. And do you know that he wants you to recognize that every day for the rest of your life? Now, when we talk about daily bread, it alludes to the, the manna in the wilderness. And let's, let's look at a couple of things uh, about the manna in the wilderness. First of all, <clears throat> manna came daily, every day. Remember the, the story of the manna uh, that when Israel went out into the wilderness and they had no food and they were crying and complaining and moaning and, and God sent manna, like the snow we saw yesterday. Uh, as it was just coming down out of the air, these little flakes of snow, at least we did, I'm not sure that you did, uh, but we had flakes of snow coming down, and it was manna that gathered on the ground, and the manna, you gathered what you needed for that day, and that was it. You, you couldn't gather enough for the next day. Somebody tried to, and it stank. The only thing is, was uh, on the day before the Sabbath, you could gather enough for the Sabbath because God didn't want you working on the Sabbath. But it was every day. What do you think God was trying to teach the people of Israel? He was trying to teach them, you need me. You're dependent upon me. I'm the one that provides your food. And he wants us to know the same thing too. You need me. I provide for you. I take care of you every day. By the way, that's a life-changing reality when you enter into it. It's true for all the people of the world that they need God, that they're dependent upon him. He sends his rain to fall on the good and on the evil as well. He takes care of everybody. He provides for everybody. But as believers, you and I need to understand he provides for me every day. He takes care of me. All right. <clears throat> now, you and I would like to have enough money in the bank to be able to provide for years ahead. Wouldn't that be a nice feeling? It's a very attractive thought to us, isn't it? <clears throat> but do you know that God doesn't want you in the place where you're secure apart from him? That's not his will for you. God's will is not that you and I should be secure without him. He wants us to recognize every day I need him. I need him for food. I need him to provide bread in my life. I need him to take care of me. He wants you to be in that place. He can give you much more. Folks, he gives us much more. I think we'd be very discouraged if all we had was bread for today. But God can give you much more than that. But the fundamental truth is he wants you to understand it's all from him. He is giving 
all of it to you. He is taking care of you. And so you, you center your life uh, around that part of his will. He wants you and I dependent on him. Our sin nature wants us to be independent of him and everybody else. But he says, no, I want you to be dependent on me. And I want you to recognize it. You'll help yourself a whole lot in life if you just understand that fact. I need him. I need him today. I'm going to need him every day for the rest of my life. It helps a whole lot of you get that uh, in your mind. Manna then, secondly, was everything needed for survival. The people, <clears throat> the people of Israel didn't get sick. Their shoes didn't wear out. God gave them everything that they needed. The manna was just the perfect food. It had all the nutrition that you needed. You could eat it. And listen, you had a completely balanced diet. I, I, I don't know this, but I think if you ate manna all the time, you wouldn't have a weight problem. I think it, just, it was just a perfect food. It just met your needs perfectly. I think if you ate manna, a lot of the physical illnesses that we have would just go away. Because it's a perfect food, because they say a, a person is what they eat. And, you know, what we eat shows up in our lives all the time, uh, you know, and illnesses and, and all kinds of things. And it, manna was a perfect food. It just, it just made everything right as we ate this manna, <clears throat> as, as they ate this manna. But also, manna wasn't necessarily the most exciting food in the world. Can you imagine? Just imagine if you got the same food for breakfast. And it was pulled out and given to you for lunch. And the same food was given to you for dinner. And then when you woke up the next morning, it was the same food for breakfast. And the same food for lunch. And the same food for dinner. And if you wanted a snack, your mom would say, go get some manna. <clears throat> uh, it was the same food. Oh, I, listen, folks, I'd be bored after day one. <clears throat> Manna was not necessarily the most exciting food, but God says he was testing this people. He was testing Israel to know whether they would trust him or not. It was a perfect event. They had problems, they had issues, and God dealt with their issues in terms of their rebellion and their reaction to him. Um, but God gave them the perfect food. Now, you and I need to understand that God knows what's best in our lives. And God provides for us and he takes care of us. And we do best when we learn to be content with what our Heavenly Father has done, has given us in our lives. We do best when we come to that place where we learn to be content. Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9, uh, the, 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 the writer of Proverbs says this. He says, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. But he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Just take care of me. That's what God wants to do for you and I. God wants to take care of you when you're a kid. And he wants to take care of you when you're in your teens. And he wants to take care of you in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. And even when you get to the place where you're in your 80s and your 90s, God wants to take care of you. He wants to be the one taking care of you. Now, listen, I think it's important that you do all that you can uh, to provide uh, for your future. But you know what? I, 
God is going to take care of you. He is the one that's going to take care of you. And you need, you, need to, you need to accept that as his will for you, and you need to live within that. He's going to take care of me. He's going to look after me. You see, God provides our, our needs and a lot more, but when we go after our greeds, then we're not content. We're not happy. We want something else, and we end up getting in a lot of trouble. So you know what's going to help you? If you wake up in the morning and you say, now, Lord, would you take care of me today? Just today, Lord. I'm not going to worry about next week, next month, next year, or 40 years from now. Lord, just take care of me today. Look after me today, Lord. It's going to put you in the right place. It's going to help bring you into that place where you're right in the place uh, of God's will, uh, where he wants you to be. Second one is this, though, is forgiveness. And again, this is a strange one to bring into it. I mean, if you're going to teach me how to pray, why, why teach me about forgiveness? Isn't that a separate lesson? Isn't that a separate issue that needs to be brought up? Well, no. Jesus reckons it's one of the most important issues. Now, why does he say that? You, know, you and I have a problem. We need bread every day, don't we? Do you know, I, I would think that all of us need forgiveness every day, and we need to forgive every day. I would think living in a broken world, there's never a day goes by but you don't have somebody uh, hurt you, offend against you, cross you in some way, and you can take on board the offense and, 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 and it can get into your psyche and it can become a problem for you because you know what, they did this on me. And <clears throat> we need to understand that there's a double-edged sword here, right? <clears throat> and it's pointed at you. But the double edge is this, God says, and <clears throat> um, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Uh, Matthew uh, 6 says it this way, uh, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That little word as in the middle is interesting, isn't it? Lord, would you forgive me in the same way as I forgive other people? Do you really want to pray that? Do you really want to pray that, Lord, you forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people? Because that's what it's saying. You want forgiveness. You need forgiveness. And God says, if you do, then I want you to forgive. I want you to release. I want you to let go. It's a major issue in the New Testament. It comes up at least 13 times in the New Testament. And uh, it's a major, major issue for the church, too, because Lack of forgiveness and bitterness are, 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 are two sides of the same coin. And you end up getting bitter. And all of us have problems, have issues. Uh, the basic idea of forgiveness is this, letting go. Releasing those who have done you wrong. Releasing those who have done something on you that has hurt you. You know, as I was contemplating this uh, this week, I, I had this thought, right? You know, you may not have anything great that somebody has done that wronged you in your life. And you may say, well, I'm not bitter because there's nothing. But you know what? What do you do with all those little offenses, real, some unintended, some imagined, that happen to you throughout the day? Don't some of them just lodge? And you can end up with an offense in there that you're not letting go of, that you're waiting on somebody to make it right. That, you're, that you're, you're, you're upset. And every time you think of what they did, you go, oh. 
There's adult thoughts. Now, it's not something huge, some mountain that you need to forgive. It's just a million little things that people do in your life that are a problem. And you need to forgive. You need to release them and let it go. You need to learn as a habit of life, releasing and letting go. Why? Well, because God commands it, number one. But secondly, because the way God's going to deal with you is the way you deal with others. And in this area of forgiveness, your relationship with God is going to be directly affected if you don't learn to let go. If you don't learn to release the hurts and, and the pains that people have inflicted upon you. But as soon as we start talking about forgiveness, uh, we begin arguing with ourselves, don't we? But you don't know what he did to me. They lied about me over and over again. She intended to destroy my career, and she did. You can't imagine the hell I've been through. If you knew what this has done to my family, you'd be angry too. They deserve to suffer like they made me suffer. I'm going to make them pay. I will never forgive those people. Never. You hear some of those things. Maybe you've got your own arguments against forgiving, against letting go. But remember, you're asking God to forgive you as you forgive others. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. <clears throat> It's very telling. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And when it comes down to the place where we're forgiving, oh, we're going to have a hard time with that. And you and I need to live our lives constantly releasing, constantly letting go, constantly forgiving. It needs to become the habit of our lives because if it doesn't become the habit of our lives, we get clogged with it. And not only that, but it clogs our relationship with God as well. Forgiveness is a truly Christian virtue. Uh, listen to these words. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus said uh, in Luke 6, 37, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. All right, so catch it. Uh, we're, we're talking here about how God deals with us. Uh, <clears throat> You're going to be judgmental? Well, you know what? You're going to find harsh judgment in your life. If you're going to condemn people, you're going to be uh, condemned. If you won't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, think about what lack of forgiveness does in your relationship with somebody. You, you see somebody coming along and you think, oh, they did that to me. <laughs> and you may smile and pretend everything is okay, but inside there's something dead. Dead towards that person because of what they've done to you. It's going to affect your relationship with God if you don't forgive. Matthew 6, 15 says, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't believe, you know, the believer loses their salvation because they don't forgive. But I do think it affects their relationship. I do think it affects that sweetness, that relationship they have with God. Ephesians 4, 32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, let's think this through for a second, right? What did it cost to forgive you your sins? Well, you say, my sins weren't that bad. I mean, I haven't done that much wrong. Well, no, think about it. Your sins were so bad that the only way to redeem you, 
The only way for you to find forgiveness was for God's Son, the lovely Lord Jesus, to come and live a perfect life without sin, without blemish, and to hang on a cross in all its gory, horrible, painful anguish so that you could be forgiven. And God said, I'm willing to pay. And Jesus said, I'm willing to pay. And he hung there and he paid the price for your sin. And then he says, <clears throat> I want you to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There's nothing you and I are supposed to hold on to. Listen, <clears throat> I understand people often are not sorry for what they've done to you, but you still can't hold on. You still can't be bitter. You still can't hold on uh, to what they've done to you. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. I love that forbearing one another. Do you know that the idea of forbearing is putting up with each other? Now, not putting up with each other in a negative way, but it's recognizing, you know what? If we live together, if we live in community, and we do, and we have to because we need to, but if we live uh, in community, we're going to offend each other. Somebody's going to offend you intentionally. They have an extra grind, and they're going to go after you, and they're going to feel they have a right to make your life miserable. So somebody's going to offend against you, you know, because they were thoughtless. And somebody's going to offend against you not even knowing they did it. It's, it's going to happen. You live in a broken world. You're going to find offense. You're going to have to forbear and to forgive. You know, Christianity gives you truths that are really the art of living well. And forgiving people is the art of living well. Letting it go. Uh, not holding on to it. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the love chapter says uh, that love thinketh no evil. And somebody put it this way, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Do you? Do you keep score? Do you have a list in your mind? Well, they did this, and then they did this, and they did this, and then they did this. You know, <clears throat> I knew somebody, and they had a, a, a book with all the wrongs people had done them in it, lest they forget. Guess what? There was no healing in that person's life until they got rid of the book. The book had to go. You know what? You'll never heal and enjoy all that God would have for you as long as you're keeping score of the wrongs people did to you. It's, it, it just can't happen. See, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the perfect example of forgiveness on the cross as he suffered in anguish, as he suffered so unjustly, as he suffered at the hands of people who, who hated him and had made themselves uh, his enemies, as he suffered on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said, don't hold this against them. They have no idea what they're doing. Now, nobody seemed particularly sorry. Isn't that what you're waiting for sometimes? You're waiting for them to be sorry, and then you forgive them. Somebody repenting can allow you to restore a relationship. But you can't wait until somebody repents to forgive them. Because if you do, you're at their mercy. Some people are at the mercy of somebody who's dead. 
They did them a great wrong. They never repented of it. They never made it right. And that person is still living. And, and listen, the dead person's not going to make it right. You need to let it go. You need to release it. You need to come to that place in your life where you decide, I'm not holding on to this anymore. <clears throat> when Jesus died, the people who, who put him there were, kind of, were happy with themselves. Pilate washed his hands of the sword of the fair. The Jewish leaders hated him uh, <clears throat> with an irrational hate, and they were happy to see him suffer and die. Evil was in the air that day. Uh, the forces of darkness had done their work, and the Son of God would soon be in the tomb. And no one said, I was wrong. We made a mistake. Oh, we were fools. We're sorry. And yet he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's exactly what you and I need to say. We may not be able to forgive people and restore relationship because they've not dealt with it. But we need to be releasing it. Father, forgive them. Father, you deal with it. The Bible says that into uh, the Father's hands, Jesus commanded his spirit. And, and what he did was, he said, God, I'm not going to deal with this. I can't deal with it. Father, I'm not going to deal with this. Lord, I'm, I'm leaving it for you to deal with. You and I need to constantly release and let God deal with it. We need to release and let him deal with it. And we have to learn that habit of life that we're releasing and letting go all the time. Part of the problem, though, is with forgiveness is that we don't understand it properly. You know, we think forgiveness means, you know, <clears throat> uh, that everything is hunky-dory and everything is happy. And, and even though this person has, has effectively uh, tried to, to knife me, so to speak, uh, I'm supposed to just treat them like nothing happened. That's not what, what the Bible uh, is teaching us. Forgiveness does not mean approving of what somebody did. It doesn't make wrong right. If somebody did you wrong, it's wrong. Uh, it's not uh, approving of what someone else said. It doesn't mean pretending that the evil never took place. It does not mean making excuses for other people's bad behavior. It does not mean justifying evil so that sin somehow becomes less sinful. It does not mean overlooking abuse. It does not mean denying that others tried to hurt you repeatedly. It does not mean letting others walk all over you. It does not mean refusing to press charges when a crime has been committed. It does not mean forgetting the wrong that was done. It does not mean pretending that you were never hurt. It does not mean that you must restore the relationship to what it was before. It does not mean that you must become best friends again. It does not mean that there must be a total reconciliation as if nothing happened. It does not mean that you must tell the person that you have forgiven them. It does not mean that all negative consequences of sin uh, <clears throat> are, are, are removed. Forgiveness, though, is not optional. It's basic to your relationship with God. It's this releasing and letting it go. Now, <clears throat> what, what does it mean to forgive? Well, you can't forget. It's impossible for you as a human being to forget. But let me give you three very helpful steps that you can do as far as forgiving somebody is concerned. First of all, you're going to need God's help. You don't have it in you uh, to do it. You're going to need God's help. So here's, here's the first thing. You can decide, I'm not going to think about it anymore. And you say, but it keeps coming up all the time. Yeah, I know it keeps coming up, but you don't have to let it dwell in your mind. You don't have to take it on board. You don't have to kind of think it through and go all over it again. It can come up in your mind. You can say, I'm releasing that. I don't want that. I'm not thinking about that. So decide you're not going to think about it. So that when it comes up, you don't dwell on it. Secondly, you can decide that you're not going to talk about it anymore. 
Now, it's one thing for you to go and talk to somebody and get help. Sometimes, with some of the bigger things, you're going to need somebody to talk you through it and help you come to the place where you can release and forgive. I understand that. As a human being, there are some of those things that, you know, <clears throat> just don't lend themselves to, uh, to an easy letting go of. And you can go and talk to somebody about it with a view to releasing it. But here's what you can't do. You can't tell people about it to get their sympathy and to involve them in the situation. That's always going to do you damage. That's just going to make it worse. So you're not going to think about it. You're not going to talk about it. And the third one is you're not going to seek revenge. You're not going to go after that person and try and get revenge. You say, but, 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 I know. That's hard, isn't it? That's really difficult. But you've got to let it go. Because here's the problem. Until you let it go, you're still at the mercy of that person that did you wrong. You've got to give it up and let it go. Uh, it means letting go, releasing them. It means you putting it away from you. You're not going to think about it. Uh, you're, you're, you're not going to talk about it. And you're not going to seek revenge about it anymore. Sid, Sid, as we started looking at this point, that you know sometimes it's a thousand little things or a million little things that are, that are getting you. Some, so, some of you have a huge offense in your past that you, you dragged around like a ball and a chain behind you all your life. And it hinders you and it holds you back. And you need to let it go. You need to cut yourself loose and let it go. You, you, if you need help, then get help. But let it go. Because that's never going to help you to make it right. Do you, do you realize that they say that revenge is sweet? But you talk about people that have gotten the revenge. And it's not so sweet. It's not actually helped them. Let it go. And usually, it's brought a whole lot of trouble into their lives, humanly speaking. And obviously, it puts between us and God. There's a better way. Release it. Let it go. And get help if you need it. But some don't have a huge offense in your past. What you have is you have a thousand little offenses. All the offenses that keep happening in the week. All the offenses that keep happening with those people around you. All those offenses that just, just hurt you. Remember, remember the story of Gulliver uh, and Gulliver's travels? And he ends up in the land of Lilliput. And Lilliput is these people that are tiny. They're like little toy soldiers by comparison to, uh, to, to Gulliver. Well, do you know how they tie Gulliver down? They take strands of his hair and they tie it to their biggest ropes, but they're not really ropes, they're just kind of threads uh, for Gulliver. And they, they throw their ropes, and they're not really ropes, around him and tie them around his arms, and they, and they, they stake him to the ground. And with a thousand ropes, a thousand small cords, they succeed in tying Gulliver down. I think sometimes it's like that for us, that there's a thousand little things, that because we've not learned the art of releasing it, of letting it go, that, you know, some, somebody said this to you in the morning, and later on in the day, you're coming, oh, that was horrible, they shouldn't have said that. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you're, and you're, and you're, you're, you're upset with that. Uh, somebody ate the last slice of toast in the morning before you got your breakfast. And, and you carry it with you all the day when you need to release it and let it go. 
release it and let it go. Don't hold on to those things. What you're doing is you are tying yourself down as you go through your day, as you go through your life, because you're not releasing and letting go. Oh, listen, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's spirituality, Christianity 101, basic lesson, all right? So, Lord, day by day, feed me. I need, I need you, Lord, day by day. And then second, Lord, I'm forgiving everybody because you've forgiven me so much, Lord. I'm forgiving everybody. And the third point is this, protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't succumb. Uh, don't let us succumb to temptation. See, here, here's the reality. You and I uh, live in a broken world. And we live in a broken world with an enemy. And he hates your guts. Uh, he, wants, he wants to tear you down, to destroy you, to do everything he can uh, to get you. And he's willing to put time, energy, resources into it. And you and I wander through our world very often and we're oblivious to the warfare that's going on all around us. We're oblivious to the reality of Satan, our enemy, the enemy of our souls, the one who wants to tear us down. And we're, we're just living our lives. There are a couple of examples in the Bible that give us a real clear picture of this warfare. There's Job in the book of Job. And in chapter 1 of Job, there's this conversation that goes on between God and Satan about Job. And he shows his hatred. And, 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 and God allows him to take everything that Job has. And then he allows him to afflict him with boils. But you have an enemy out there uh, that's longing to do you damage. There's another incident in the, in the New Testament. And the Apostle Peter, we, we love the Apostle Peter. We love him because he's imperfect like we are. And, and he gets it wrong. And, and he's a man's man, and he's going to defend his Lord Jesus. He's going to do whatever it takes to look after him. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Catch that. Simon, Simon. Someone would you pay attention to me now? If he said, David, David. I want you to listen to me now. Right? Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Right? Satan has desired to have you to destroy you. He's, he's going to go after you, Simon. I want you to be aware. I want you to be on your guard. He's going to go after you. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ said that to you. You'd be, you'd be saying, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? No, you probably wouldn't. Because he has said that to you. And forgive us our sins and, and deliver us from evil. But what does Peter do? And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Here's Peter's problem. He doesn't know himself and his weakness, and he doesn't know who it is that he's up against. And so he goes in the strength of his own flesh, and before the day is out, it ends in disaster. He's, he's denied his Lord. He's crushed by his own failure because he's not all that he thought he would be. 
Listen, Peter was no match for Satan. Nor are you and I in our flesh. He loves when we're in our flesh because he can play with us then because he's got the upper hand. The only thing that makes you and I stronger than Satan is when we're near the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Draw near to him. Be strong in him. You and I need to walk close to our Lord. See, when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, we're talking about going to war. First of all, put God in his right place. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is that where you're at today? Is that, is that where your heart is today? And then, Lord, give me today my daily bread. Lord, I am absolutely dependent upon you. If you don't provide me with air and food and work and all that I need, I'm, I'm finished. Lord, I need you, and I want to need you every day for the rest of my life. <clears throat> uh, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Have you done that? Have you forgiven those? Do you need to get with God and actually release some things this morning? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. Christina's going to play for us, and you're going to get a moment to actually talk to God and to release those things. You may say, I don't know how I can do it. I got, I got a big issue. I need help. But what you're saying is this, I will get the help. I will go to somebody. I will talk to somebody who can help me to release that. You, you may be one of those people that's gathering up offenses and you know they're kind of lodging in your soul and it's wearing you down and wearing you out and putting between you and God. And you say, oh, Lord, help me. I'm, I, I want to learn uh, to forgive, to let go. You may wander through life not realizing the enemy. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You need to ask God for his help and be aware there's an enemy out there stalking you. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't give us a trite little prayer that kids could learn to pray. His disciples said to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray like you pray. It's just different, Lord. You're connecting with, with the Father. Something's going on. We can see it. Lord, would you teach us? And this is what Jesus gave them. He gave them this way to access heaven and the power of heaven and to know their God and their walk with him. And he's given it to you and I too. It is powerful. Don't say it wrote. Let the truth sink in. But cover those points in your prayer life. Because your heavenly Father has a plan and a will for your life that is the best it could possibly be. And he wants you to come in line with him and live in that place. And once you're there, listen, he can give you anything. I'm not saying he will, but he can give you anything. Whatsoever we ask, according to his will, we know that we have those things. Will you... Talk to him. Do business with him in these few minutes. Let us pray. Father, would you bless? Lord, put your hand upon us because, Lord, we need you to work these things out in our hearts and lives. Lord, we're not able by ourselves. But, Lord, would you take the simple, straightforward, but so deep prayer and, Lord, apply it to our hearts. And where there's something we need to deal with, Lord, may it be dealt with as we speak to you. In Jesus' precious name.
as Christine plays and God is dealing with you, would you talk to him and do business with him?